Open to them your hand to the shore. Watch them walk into the sea. Press upon them all they need. See, see them yearn for all they want. Gift to them the calm pool of words. Watch them draw the sword. Bless upon them the satiation of peace. See them starve for war. Grant them darkness, and they will lust for light. Deliver to them death, and hear them beg for life. Beget life, and they will murder your kin. Be as they are, and they see you different. Show wisdom, and you are a fool. The shore gives way to the sea, and the sea, my friends, does not dream of you. Hello, and welcome to the Legendarium Green Team's Malazan series. Welcome to episode four of the Reaper's Gale series. I am here in fan, and I am joined today by Befuddled Panda. Hello! And an unfortunately very Canadian Ashimon. <laughs> I have to think of a Canadian greeting. Uh, hey there, hosers! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, how are you? Ah, uh, yes, uh, Janath. Janeth is gone. He's uh, more sociable than the rest of us. and uh, He's celebrating his birthday. It's his birthday or someone else's birthday? His, no, birthday. his birthday. It's his birthday. Okay, week. well, he's probably like 49, I'm guessing. What? <laughs> so everyone everyone, wish uh, Janeth a happy 49th birthday. Happy Discord. birthday. You'll, you'll be too late. By the time this episode's come, this comes out. But, you know what? It's a thought you know. that counts. Okay. It'll be appreciated. Absolutely. He could be like 50 something. I'm not sure. He is not. Oh my God. Maybe like early 60s. <laughs> I can see that. He hides it pretty well, I suppose, if it's in his 60s. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, how, how have you been? Good. Yeah. I went, to, I went to Disneyland and Universal Studios Hollywood and I screamed a lot. So my voice is a bit rough. <laughs> mm, mm. You're seeing yeah. like Goofy walking around. It's like, oh my god, this was not meant to exist. Yep, yep. <laughs> no. Well, uh, Disneyland, they they do the Christmas decorations for Haunted Mansion, right? Yeah, the Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, are those set up already? Yes. Awesome. Okay. Continue. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they do it for um, October and then just throughout the christmas season we're gonna go next month oh you're gonna be in california no i'm in Dis- tokyo disneyland oh psh. oh okay fine yeah we, we, we are not gonna fly with her being as fat as she is mm. you mean <laughs> carrying a child with child same thing no, oh my mom was actually pregnant with me when she went to disneyland oh, oh really Florida, not tokyo yeah oh disney That's, world uh, Ah, oh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the branding. Disney World's the big one in Florida. Okay. Gotcha. That means she had to walk a lot, a lot. She was one of those people that gets pregnant and you hardly even notice. <laughs> wow. She's like five feet tall, too. So. Dang. It's like yeah. my height. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. It's a good height. It's fun size. Yeah. <laughs> It's much more efficient, and airplanes are a lot easier to fly on. That is true. But Hiran, you went to the the new Studio Ghibli Park. Oh yeah, amusement park. My wife's company had a, a drawing for uh, early showings of the new Ghibli Park in uh, Nagoya, and mm-hmm. it was really, really, really cool. So uh, I highly recommend to check it out when it opens. 
there's only three sections open currently. Next year, they'll have two more. Um, but yeah, it was pretty damn cool. I'm jealous. Same. I love the Chipley movies. It's um, so far away. <laughs> I saw uh, Nosferatu yesterday. Oh. Um, yeah, I was at the local theater. It was live band, uh, which was very cool. Uh, if you ever watch Nosferatu, I recommend getting someone who can play a violin to accompany it. It, uh, it really adds to the effect. And the Irish ambassador introduced the movie, which uh, I was a big fan of. Yeah. Is it scary? Yes. Um, yeah. It's like it's from 1922. Uh, so okay. most of film techniques weren't invented yet. Uh, it's like spooky. It's not like scary. I think it's pretty scary. No, I it's not jump scary. It. It's, it is very spooky, though. It's very atmospheric. That's for sure. And, and the makeup and eerie. is creepy. Yeah. Mm. Count Orlock. Cool. Shall we start? Yes. <laughs> not Count Dracula. Yes. Today we'll be covering chapters 19 through 22 of Reaper's Gale. Um, spoiler warning for that. Uh, Ash hit it. Chapter 19. Seren Fadak snoops around Udenas's mind to see him friend-zoning Feather Witch. Venet Sathad plays hardball with Oberyn Truthfinder. Red Mask makes ready for the last stand of the all. I, uh, I like how Udenas uh, just kind of gets to tell Feather Witch, no, screw off, yes. you stupid, dumb person. I agree. It was nice to see that, uh, considering how much he pined for her and the whole uh, of the last time we saw them, we were just like, why? What do you, what do you see in this woman? She is terrible. Uh, she's pretty. Yeah. I wonder if she's still pretty. I don't know. Maybe maybe she looks I like an old so. hag now from all the magic. Maybe like a Disney. Uh, if it was stepmother. chaos magic, then I would buy it. But she's only using like hold magic, and the errant was the prostitute of the kingdom for a while. So. Okay, so it's not I that she's ugly. Still- it's just uh, Udnas uh, got the power of self-respect. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim yeah. style. <laughs> and um, during that time when he's rejecting this woman who abused him, a woman is currently abusing him. <laughs> Very sad. Yes. Yeah. Rudeness. <laughs> it's pretty twisted. Yeah. It, it's a good line, him. though. I, I like mm-hmm. when he's uh, monologuing. He's just like, I am no longer a slave. It's like, yeah, yeah, my boy. Good boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, like, I, I mean, Saren was in the wrong, but I still felt bad, bad for her. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, like, she just wants to know what's going on. <laughs> and she's so, she's so lost and confused, and she doesn't even really know why she's going along with him still. Um, and I, I guess he was just the easiest one to kind of take advantage of that knew anything. And she's getting kind of objectified by her not-brother, brother-in-law. That's just this weird relationship. Uh, yeah, I buy it. <laughs> like, I get it that, you know, there are characters who are, like, so honorable and upright and, like, they're just going to do whatever is just um, regardless of the cost. But they're very annoying. Are you talking about fear? Yeah. See, I didn't think that was, like, about justice at all. I think that was just... A mix of self righteousness and uh, the trauma from losing his own, like, his uh, own almost wife to his brother. Beloved. Yeah. I and uh, ownership. Yeah. It, see, okay. I guess, yeah, just is not the right word. But, like, to him, he feels like he's 
doing the right thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah he's protecting the, the helpless maiden. <laughs> Who actually does want to be saved, considering everything she's been through. Like, I, yes. I, it was so sad when she's thinking of Troll, and she's just like, hey, I, I'm allowed to, you know, pretend like somebody's actually going to come save me, because he's actually oh. dead. <laughs> um, my quote for this uh, episode was something that she was thinking after Fear told her that, her that he would protect and defend her. She thinks, Fear Sengar, you fool, a fool like any other man, like every other man. What is it with your gestures, your eagerness to sacrifice? Why do you all give yourselves to us? We are not pure vessels. We are not innocent. We will not handle your soul like a precious, fragile jewel. No, you fool, we'll abuse it as if it was our own, or indeed of lesser value than that, if that is possible. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's, it's a very male thing to do to just kind of like want to throw yourself at the feet of a woman, right? Even if it's not like a romantic thing. It's something I noticed myself doing um, uh, frequently in my relationships with, relationships with women. Not even for romantic desires. It's just, you know. Anyways, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting habit. Protective. I used nature. to. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes it's appreciated. I'm not going to lie. Like, it is nice to be on the receiving end. But there is a fine line where it can become very patronizing and annoying <laughs> yes i bet yeah I, I i definitely don't think it's necessarily a bad thing and yeah i think it can often be a good thing and it can feel nice when you you know feel yourself like you you, you feel like you're giving something of yourself or protecting someone from something or helping them through difficult times um yeah. but yeah there's also very much a dark side to it and it's uh, very easy to slip into infantilizing someone yep infantilizing putting them up on a pedestal um or like maybe thinking you're owed something mm. you're not yeah all that mm. all that good stuff yeah um there is this question um who is the father of animander and Darist and silchus ruin um, it's mother dark right but that's a mom who's the dad oh, oh the father Oh, the dad. Um, <laughs> it's not important. So, at I... all? <laughs> I, uh, it, uh, not really, no. <laughs> so, then why even pose this question? <sighs> I, uh, Ash, uh, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. <laughs> Help so, me. So, I think in the Tyst mythology, as it exists now like contemporaneously with this story i think the implication is that it's a sort of virgin birth situation going on um oh. yeah it's the 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 first sons of pure darkness right um yeah, that's and Mother not Dark is supposedly pure darkness and the, the goddess of their yeah. whole race so i believe in this mythology the they they want you to believe that they are the first sons of Mother Dark, like physically, mm -hmm. uh, instead of metaphorically. But as you know, Udnas shows um, it's a lot more complicated than that. And I'll yeah. Yep. <laughs> now, what, what like, came first? Was it light or dark? And right. what does it what, even mean for one of those things to come first? And and if so, what, what are the fire? other gods? And yep. Right. <laughs> if you need that fire, you need thing. light. And... Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think chaos came first. I agree. Yeah. Um, but um, what was the first thing that imposed order on chaos? 
right? I think that's the yeah. I think that's the central tension of their mythology. Um and the the the, the Andy believe that it's dark. Um I don't know if the Leos and think that light came first. Hmm. We don't get a lot of their uh, POVs, so it's hard to say. Yeah. They're kind of just like there, but not there. They're just like mentioned. They're, uh... What what are they doing right now? <laughs> um yeah, the the from what we know, from what's been revealed to us, um there was a being that uh, was it Osirk or was it um what's it, his son that had inst- had placed at the head of their hierarchy. Right. And that's uh-huh. dead now. It was killed by the Tlanimas. Uh-huh. Um and the last we saw them was in House of Chains, and there was the ones that were chasing down uh, Gruntle and Stormy and Truth uh, to reclaim the lost power that they inadvertently stole when they were getting dragged through the warrens. Right. Um, and I think they had figured out that, um, well, their their god is dead. So right. that's that's what we know of them so far. Um, but they will make a reappearance at some point and you'll, you'll find out more about what's going on with them. Okay. And what is Anamander doing this whole time? Right now he is in black coral. Just, just chilling. He's, um, he's doing something. (laughs) We'll catch up with him in Toll the Hands. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, Red Mask finally kills that elder who knew all of his secrets. Yeah. Red Mask is a bastard. His internal monologue was quite interesting in that point, considering what we learned later in the uh, the section. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should wait yeah. uh, until then to talk about it, though. I kind of lost interest in Red Mask. Like, he came out so strong and was, like, so intriguing and so cool. And then he just petered out. That was my exact experience with him. I think that's intentional. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll do like a whole red mask talk at the end, I think, um, okay. with the full context. But yeah, I, I, I do think he's very much someone who's meant to look very impressive and then kind of, it ends up, he's not all that he's cracked up to be. I guess the whole mask thing, it was a, was a metaphor made real. Meta- oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. To kind of round out the whole, um, like travelers in the heist realm so like solstice ruin can control if it's day or night in that realm like is he the only one who can i think that it's a local effect that he's doing that he's not necessarily making it dawn on all of curled galane but yeah i I would say that this is probably something that like him and animander can do and Hmm. like that's probably it (laughs) Okay, so he was just like making it night for the benefit of his fellow travelers, so that they can like rest. But like he That's doesn't actually. Got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uda Udanas knows way too much, and he can see in the dark <laughs> now. He's like almost. Wait, did I, I have a set this? He's like a Cassandra figure almost. What's Cassandra? He's in Greek mythology, Cassandra oh. was cursed by the god Apollo to see visions of the future, but no one would ever listen to her. I see. 
that was the nature of her curse. So Udnas, he can see all these things. He, like, he can guess them a lot of the time. And he's, he's very, very smart. And he has like a really good intuitive reasoning to him. But he knows that talking about it's not going to change anything. <laughs> and in fact, it could lead to more harm, he thinks, if he shared it with Seren, Padak, or Fear. Got it. And I think he's correct there, uh, given what happens later. Got it, got it. And poor Kettle, she also, like, I guess she knows she's going to die. She's got the sword of Damocles hanging over her, yeah. I, I feel like every time we talk about Kettle, it starts with the words, poor Kettle. Poor Kettle. <laughs> well, like, I know that, you know, she's, it's the body of a small girl, but, like, the the soul, soul I guess. For cool yeah. sale or, a, or an Azath house or something. Right. But see, this is like the longest tease. Like, it's, we're going through this whole book and just keep talking about poor Kettle. She's going to die. Like, the innocence, blah, blah, blah. It's like, uh, can we just, mm. just make it happen just, already? Just kill her already. <laughs> I know. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Imagine how she feels. I know. Because. <laughs> Yeah, when you think about it, like the these heroic questers, they're not actually doing a lot in these chapters. They've no. done actually very, very little, um, which I, I again think is intentional. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it leads it leads to this weird feeling that like their sections are always just like about waiting for the end. Yeah, Venet Sasad. Venet yeah. yeah, that's how I that's how I think of it to myself at least. Yeah, he's just he's an assassin. He's visiting Oberyn Truthfinder. Um the Lethari Empire is currently collapsing due to economic hardship. And um Who saw that coming? <laughs> <laughs> it's nice that it's happening now. Um I find it funny that like everyone thinks that they engineered it. <laughs> <laughs> like all the people at the top they're like i'm just gonna let it fall and then remake the empire i want out of the ashes even rulad right <laughs> yeah even rulad later <laughs> this is perfect oh my god i could do the good things that i messed up before and i do appreciate how we really see how horrifying what's happening is like what it is that's happening like these these moms are riding through the streets and tearing people limb from limb very similar to the um Malazan pogroms mm-hmm. and riots that go on. The um, beginning of um, Dead House Gates. Dead House Gates. Yeah. Um, it's very sad. And um, I understand why Tehul was so conflicted about doing it. Uh, chapter 20. Mm-hmm. Chapter 20. Bruth and Trana encounters Kilmandros and Knuckles on his journey. Rod Alal welcomes Trull, Ben, and Onrak to his Imas family. Namanda breaks Fade's wrists and withal tosses her to her death. The Malazan regulars discuss their own plans for invading Letharis. Janath gets sad about going back to her old lodging. Srulad begins the slaughtering of his champions as he continues to struggle to do anything useful at all as Emperor. And uh, <laughs> failing, by the way. <laughs> okay. He might be start... the worst figure of authority. <laughs> worst I person mean... at leading in all of these books. At this point, he's just a puppet, so... Yeah, but the figure of authority. But the Panion Seer was also pretty much a puppet. Yeah, 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 like he was an effective puppet, right? I think maybe that's what you're saying. But yeah, 
like Rulod and like High Fist Pornqual, I think are competing for least effective ruler. <laughs> but see, Pornqual, the the um, consequences of Pornqual being ineffective is like worse to me than Rulod being ineffective. I think they're pretty comparable, but yeah, like it's definitely worse for the reader emotionally. Yeah, I, I would I would think. Because, yeah, Pornquall gets Coltane killed, and the entire Seven Cities Rebellion happens in large part because of him. Well, it's um, more like because Rulod being ineffective here, like, there are other effective players to kind of, like, make mm. things, like, balance it out. Whereas, like, with Pornquall, it was it was very much like nobody was stepping up to do anything the opposite. <laughs> well, Malakarel was. Yeah, he convinced him to help. <laughs> well, yeah, like yeah. That, that. There was only one direction. Yeah, um, I uh, I feel bad for Fade. That's I'll be honest. That's gonna be my take the episode. I call her Fade. Um, I feel bad for Fade, but I feel even worse for Namander. They're like my least favorite part of this whole thing. And with that's fair. Yeah, I I, I would agree with you. That's my favorite part of this chapter. I don't um, understand their point. Like, I, I don't understand the inclusion of them, to be honest. Um, basically, um, Namander is set up to be... He feels like he has to be like Animander. I get so that, So he's yeah. kind of set up as a contrast to him. Um, but I would agree that their sections are the least interesting part of the book. this book for me. Um, but... They're very much. They're not meant to be the focus for this book. They are they going to be a focus in a later book? Is that what you're trying to tell? Until lands. <laughs> they're going to be until lands. <laughs> oh dear. I I really enjoyed this section, especially um, the pathos involved with Withel and uh, the internal dialogue of Namander and him staying up for days and days just to sacrifice. You know, make this sacrifice. Uh, and obviously, it was trying to call back to the scenes in Memories of Ice where Animander did something similar, but we didn't actually get to see Animander's point of view. And like, this is what Namander thinks Animander would do. I'm not convinced, but I, I think he would. We don't actually get anything from Fade here except for her trying to kill um, Sandaleth. Like, mm -hmm. he breaks her wrists, she starts screaming. And tries to gouge out his eyes, which, fair, I guess. Um, and then she gets tossed out the window and breaks her neck. Without even getting a chance to defend herself or beg for mercy. <laughs> Whether or not she would have done that. I mean, is she just crazy? Like, but like, what does that mean, right? <laughs> she just Yeah, I like, don't really understand is... the motivation. Yeah, so like, is her character just like, she's just going to try and murder anybody that she comes in contact with? Like, I don't... I had a feeling it was specifically targeted towards Sandaleth. Yeah, so yeah. like if that's the case, then it seems like killing her is kind of a monstrous move on Withal's part. Um, what, trying to save his wife? Her wrists were broken. What was she going to do? They they were they were planning on what to do with her, right? Like They, they could have left her behind. They could have left her with Mander. That's what Sandaleth was thinking. Sandaleth herself didn't want uh, them to kill her. Um, and yeah, like she was just this helpless prisoner that couldn't do anything at this point. So it was just kind of like a execution without a trial yeah very uncompassionate <laughs> execution 
It is. But it was also like, I mean, with always being very protective of his wife. Mm-hmm. So what about this Knuckles guy? Knuckles. Like, he's um, not my favorite character in this chapter, but he's definitely the most intriguing. Like, there's just so many questions. Just remember him. Yeah, remember him. Son um, of Kilmandros hanging out in the bottom of the sea in a cabin. Mm-hmm. Is, Who is can stop time. Yeah. And his name is Such Something. Such a laugh, I think. Well, she's Kilmandros. Rose started saying it, and then he was like, "No, call me Knuckles, Mom." They they do say that Kilmandrus was at one point in the Zath. Um, I wasn't sure if that that was the one, that was the one. Uh, but yeah, uh, hilariously, uh, she preemptively betrayed uh, Anamander way back mm-hmm. <laughs> because she thought he was going to betray it. her. Yeah, <laughs> so she did the first. Um, That's the whole thing with like of... Abby and Silchus. Yep. yep. And What's especially those with draconic blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, although Kilmanderos does not have draconic blood. She just thought, oh, Anamander has draconic blood, so he's, he's going to betray me. So I'm just going to do it first. But Scabby Dragons. also has dragon blood. Yes. Yeah, which is why they had the betrayal problem. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I would be remiss not to point out um, the funny jokes in this section. Mm. Uh, with hey. Kindly's Combs. Oh, <laughs> uh, Kindly's Combs are one of my favorite bits in the series, and also uh, Rudalal. Uh, who who was it said? Woods head said he's he's got a point. Uh huh. He's got a point, and he's no, he's got a club. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. Mm. And then uh, oh yeah, somebody asks Hedge if he bleeds. He's like, "What do you mean? I'm not a woman. I'm too ugly to be a woman." <laughs> <laughs> it's so obvious, right? Good stuff, yeah. good stuff. Especially for what's coming up. Do you think uh, Steve was inspired by um the Veggie Tales song No Hair for My Hairbrush when he was coming in kindly? <laughs> Cert- certainly. I'm not familiar with that one, but um Goodness. Is it Larry? Larry laments that he yes. uh, he's lost his hairbrush and that he has no hair for his hairbrush. I think yes. it was. Cucumbers. Yep. They don't have hair. Yeah. Much like Captain Kindly. I um also uh, who, who's the lieutenant? Uh his uh, his lackey. Pores? What's his name? Pores. Pores? Yeah. Pores is uh taking to faking a limp around him to get some sympathy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no Which kindly has noticed. <laughs> yes. Stop that. Kindly ain't no kind. <laughs> he is not very nice. Yeah. Is it was it this chapter where he was ogling uh Masanjalani? Yes, yes, everyone was. And um her squad mate was saying obviously she likes it or else she wouldn't do it. No, it's just hot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. Uh what's the name of the the lady with Karsa? I always forget her name. Oh, uh, Samardev. Yes. Samardev. Okay. So Sexual tension Kars- is wrapping up, isn't it? Karsa <laughs> and Semardev, like, if this, if Malaza were a romance novel, it would be a really, really bad romance novel, the way their dialogue goes. Have sex with me now. No, I don't wanna. I'm leaving. And even if I did, then I would have to be drunk or something. Yep. You almost got me. 
Well, yeah. why don't you just take off your clothes? <laughs> oh you don't buy this romance? I mean, no. It uh, well, what romance? She's not interested in him. I think there's like sexual tension, but it's like it's just so bad. Like I know that this is not meant to be taken seriously. If it were, if it were to be taken seriously, it would be really bad. Mm. Yeah, I, I will always agree with the statement that uh, when it comes to like writing romances, Steve's weak point generally. Mm. I think that's I think it's pretty common sentiment. Uh, it doesn't mean it's like. For me, like I, it's not like nails on chalkboard, but uh, yeah. Yes, there there are definitely worse offenders, for sure. What what, what about Smiles and Skull Death? Smiles and Skull Death, or, or Skull or Death and Hellion, and Hellion, or Coric and Smiles? Oh my goodness! <sighs> the whole Skull Death thing. I mean, it's later, a bit later in the chapters, but at one point, I was just like. What is the point of this? Because we're getting like his backstory and all of that. I'm just like, I mean, I guess this is meant to be funny, but it's not really adding much to mm. the story. It just feels like this detour that I could have done without. That's fair. I, I think it it's mostly just adding more Marines for you to maybe care about. I do and that, that's death. actually that's one of my kind of qualms is like Erickson can just pull more Marines out of his bag and add them in when, you know, too many have died. So it's just, but then it feels like this new set of Marines or set of soldiers felt more like it wasn't like seamlessly inserted into the story. It definitely was a bit jarring. It's just like, boom, boom, boom. Here's more backstory about these new characters that you're supposed to care about. I'm like, well, I think it's fair. Okay. Um, this this like I I think it is noteworthy that like this is their first like pr- prolonged military engagement. So like in terms of introducing new characters, like it's not the worst timing. Um, but I think your criticism is valid. Um, it kind of just went more. It, it went more heavy on the backstory of these, like each of these characters, mm-hmm. whereas before it was like dialogue. You you learned about each character through dialogue and interaction with the other soldiers, and this mm. was more info dumpy. I think the intention there was to showcase the diversity of cultural backgrounds they came from to prevent sure. people from thinking that Malazan Empire is like anything like uniform. Like these are all coming from way different tribes. Um I think it's sort of to contrast the conflicting uh cultures of Lothari and the All and the Eater and all of those. Um I see. Kind of yeah, to kind of highlight like these people have sort of been successfully integrated into the Empire. Although there's mm-hmm. still issues. That's me. That's me steel manning these uh, decisions. I mean, I think that's my, fine. My steel man is gold. That's cool. Like really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um. I guess. Yeah. He did I, I mean, save it, smiles and cork. Anyway, that's a later chapter. Yeah, he does have the, this cool fighting style, and um, yeah, I I, I wouldn't say that his uh, homosexual nature is played for laughs. Uh, to to tie this back to uh something uh Janice said from last episode. Well, smiles trying to convert him. Uh, I was that is played for last. <laughs> yeah, 
But like just the fact of him having sex with men is just like a yeah, it's just what he does. I think it's very funny that Smiles is trying to pretend to be a princess and <laughs> he overhears Hellion saying, Call me the queen of somebody and he falls in Hartool. love with <laughs> The queen of Cartool, yes. yeah. I mean, canonically, Hellion is very pretty. I think he was um, more interested in the fact that she's a queen, though. I mean, looks don't hurt, right? Um, chapter 21? Hmm. Chapter 21. The Marines go feral, and Hellion shows off her plan to never be without alcohol during the invasion. They fend off a massive eater attack, join up with the rest of themselves, and make for the city of Letharis. Troll and Onrak stop a minor civil war before it can happen, and this, the heroic quest arrives in Starval Demolane. There's a bunch of dead dragons. So many dead dragons. So many dead dragons. The Ash read the epigraph to this, and I enjoy it quite a bit. I would like to point listeners to a wonderful discussion that AP and Philip Chase have on, uh, I think it was AP's channel, about this poem. Hmm. Uh, What AP did was he solicited uh, interpretations from people uh, on YouTube and read them and discussed them. And it was really good. And there's a lot of different ways to interpret it. I think it's a very good encapsulation of the philosophy behind Sheikh culture. So if you ever want to understand the Sheikh and you don't want to spend much time in understanding them, just like reread this. This, this I think, captures their ethos, their very pessimistic ethos uh, on, uh, on life. See, I, um, I still think it could be taken very positively. Hmm. It's like um, nature is, is a cruel beast, but like, like a who cares? Like <laughs> you do what you do because every, everything else doesn't really matter, if that makes sense. Now, I'm sure I, I, I know that the, the very pessimistic view that uh, you interact with people and you give them everything they want. Like I, I also can interpret the, the poem as a relationship between parents and children. Hmm. I can see that. Um, in terms of like couplets that really stick with me, the sea, my friends, does not dream of you. That that's something I often think of when I think of Malazan. Um, I find it very compelling, and I think it's just good to re- remind ourselves sometimes, right? Like everyone in Malazan is anthropomorphizing like everything, um, which is partially why we have all these gods running around. Um, but like. While male is the elder god of the sea, like he's not the sea itself, right? And the the sea is kind of just indifferent to all that's going on. Um, like fire is indifferent. Yeah. And death. And night. And light. And might. And right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Pandy, you got your first peek of Starville Demolane. Uh, what do you think about there just being a bunch of dead dragons there? Well, they didn't fly through the Talon war fires or whatever to get their immunities, did they? No, no, they didn't. They should have yeah. done that. Um, maybe Talon didn't exist at that time. Oh, fine. <laughs> I don't know. I just, why are there so many dead dragons? Um, uh, can I uh, make a guess as to what your, th- your, your experience has been with dragons so far in this series? Okay. Okay. Why haven't the dragons ever done anything? (laughs) (laughs) When are the dragons going to show up and actually make an impact on the plot? Well, I mean, kind of. Like, we've seen seen some dragons. Um, I remember that crucified dragon in book four? (laughs) 
Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there were there have been quite a few dead dragons, not as many live dragons, and we know mm-hmm. that there was like uh, an effort to go kill the dragons, but mm-hmm. also they're dragons. Like, why do they die so easily? I guess maybe they didn't die so easily. Maybe there was a a, a bloodbath, but I I would. I would expect the dragons to be more in number than what we've seen. Unless they're killing each yeah, there's, other. There's not actually a lot of dragons, I don't think, anymore. Yeah, there there was in the past, I think. Um, the most dragons we're yeah. seeing are soul taken. Yep. Yeah, the only real dragon that we've seen that's actually done stuff is Solana in Gardens of the Moon. The only yeah. real dragon, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, we had the brief, uh, Cotillion had the brief conversation with the dragons that were imprisoned in Curled Emerlon. I mean, I didn't come into the series like expecting, you know, there to be um, extreme focus on dragons. So I'm not like disappointed. But when they do show up and they do do stuff, that is really cool. And it's like, you know, I would like a bit more of that. <laughs> they do really seem to fight each other a lot yeah which might explain all the corpses mm-hmm. so maybe it was a dragon fight <laughs> um as far as i know they're the beings most closely naturally linked to chaos in the in the series mm. that's true okay which is why they are the way they are actually i believe i don't know if it's been stated but they actually their fire is actually just chaos magic mm. gotcha um yeah uh, if we could reference Carcanus, we could have a conversation about that. <laughs> um, Korab is uh, still funny. Yes. My favorite characters in this chapter were Herb, Korab, and Hedge. Hmm. And the thing about Korab is everybody knows about his luck. Like, there's no... <laughs> yeah. It's not subtle. It's not just for the reader. Like, everybody knows. Yep. And they comment on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got my target by bouncing the quarrel off the cobbles. Don't tell me that was planned shot. <laughs> yep. I, I also just like the. He just he just he has good luck, but he cannot keep a weapon to save his no. life. <laughs> and then, and then <laughs> he just has this arsenal on his back. Yeah, the next chapter he's got like thirty weapons. And they're like, "You should get rid of some." Nope, I need them all. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, he probably does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's endearing. I mean, even though it's kind of frightening, it's endearing that he wants to go down in a blaze of glory. Oh, yeah. He just thinks of this as a continuation of the uh, uprising in Seven Cities. Right. Which is uh, interesting uh, for him to have that concept. Maybe a bit of a suicidal nature involved there. Yeah. Yeah, he gets all excited. This is this can be the heroic death that Leoman stole from me. Right. I mean, you know, when when uh, Korob was first introduced in where was that midnight? No, House of Chains. House of Chains. Yeah, um, I was like, uh, this character's gonna get really annoying, and now I'm like, oh, Korob. He's just yeah, he's best. he's a very <laughs> twisted kind of wholesome, but he yeah. does feel very wholesome to read. Uh, speaking of not wholesome, uh. Smiles collection of uh, Lothary penises. I think I missed that. Oh, so all the all the Marines are like decking themselves out in fingers yeah. and tongues and whatever. 
and she collects what she calls bleckers. Um, Oi. Yeah, and everyone's telling her, those are disgusting. She's like, they'll stop rotting soon. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of messed up in general that they're just collecting trophies like that. Yeah. Not not just the penises, but just cutting off other people's... Yeah, anything and keeping it is not only disgusting, but uh, kind of morally repugnant. Well, yeah, just desecrating the bodies of the people they killed. There are those that, um, the, the Lothari who, is it the Lothari who are cutting off his? Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, talk gets his face cut off later. Um, the part where um, they were talking about how they can hear the munitions, um, so, like, they're all scattered in different squads, right? Um, and they can hear the munitions. That whole thing made me think of, like, in Hunger Games when they were mm. um, scattered in the, the playing field and there would be a cannon that would fire for all the dead ones. Mm. That's, uh, that's a good connection, I think. It's sort of, to me, reminds me of the front in World War One. <laughs> Yeah. Or just just yeah. artillery shells. Yeah, I know, right? That's bingo. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, it's just like this incredibly long front that they're all advancing along and yeah, sometimes you just hear massive explosions and you hope your buddies are doing all right. Yeah. Seriously. And um I think it's I think it's interesting how the eater kind of turn their tactics against them or start employing the same tactics. Um Right. Well, I mean it was like their original tactics, not the Lefairy yeah. tactics. They're both going back to their roots. The Marines are going back to the original purpose of the Marines. The Eater are going back to the, their original way of fighting and hunting, which is an interesting uh, resonance, I think. Yeah. And I think a big theme in, these, in this book is kind of like the moral degradation that happens during war, right? Like, um, you have these, you have the Marines, they're going feral. Um, they either they're not treating them well either um um and then the all in Lothary are just being horrible to each other um uh who is it Bruthen Trana I think it is he he just starts thinking about how he wants to kill them all um even like oh. when earlier in the book he he was actually trying to save them and he had a lot Bro, of sympathy Bro for them Handar. now he just wants them to, oh yes Brolhandar yes yes sorry yeah he just wants to kill them all at this point and so of course Red like... Mask also wants to kill all the Lothary the blood tastes so sweet. Yeah, next chapter too. Uh, Tool and company want to just uh, yeah. destroy yeah. the uh, the all, even the children. And like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but um, yeah, the, the, go... the complete loss of humanity is in, a disturbing theme. Yeah, I want to go back to Hellion. Yes. Um, her two sergeants. She she was like, I mean. In the book, it did say a more modest version, but she was compared to like Coltane and Dujek mm-hmm. and like the Prince Kaz of the Crimson Guard. I'm like, uh uh-uh, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> not even a modest version. She's like, not on the same level. Like, I do not buy into this comparison. I don't know. Hellion is just like not that compelling to me. Um, I get the bit about, you know, she is a good leader like kind of dis you know despite her drunkenness and like herb just worships her or because of her drunkenness 
but it just I mean, she's, I believe, the only officer in the invasion of Lether who, like, how many casualties did her company have? Like two or something? I mean, that's, I mean, it's not fair to compare to Coltane or maybe some of the other names, but that's, that's damn impressive. Plus, I mean, who's, uh, whose perspective uh, did we hear that from? Well, that Herb. Well, I mean, Herb worships the lady, so. (laughs) Or whoever Herb was talking to, um. But, I mean, it was really cool in that the tactics that they inadvertently deployed more for their own (laughs) gain, you know, where they're killing the officials and the money lenders and the the advocates. And And the judges. Yeah, and freeing the indebted. Yeah. Um, Yeah, uh, Hellion, she's she's got a real tactical intuition about her. That, like, I, I get that, I always get the sense that she could be so much more than what she is, um, but just kind of refuses to. Um, I also kind of liked, I think she's kind of set up as a contrast to Tavor in this book, because I see they're that, almost yeah. opposites in temperament. Like, Hellion has no self-control. She mm-hmm. kind of stumbles her way into all her successes. And Tavor, meanwhile, is rigidly controlled. She's not pretty. That, um... I forget who mentions it, but someone in the book mentions that Hellion's really pretty. And part of the reason why her squad mates are so devoted to her is because she's really pretty. Right. Um, she's, yeah, so it's like, it's that factor of charisma. And yeah, like, Tavor's not pretty. She's not emotional. She's rigidly self-controlled. And somehow she keeps kind of failing at these military things. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good call out. Did you guys get riled up when um, Tom Tissy was talking to Kaneb? Okay. About how the soldiers were ready. He was saying, Fist, they're ready for you. I see that, Sergeant. No, sir. I meant they're ready. Kaneb met the squad man's dark, beady eyes and wasn't sure what he saw in them. Whatever it was, it burned bright. Sir, Tom Tissy said. It's what we're meant for. All, he waved one grimy hand. This. Trained to play more than one game, right? We stuck them enough to get them riled up. And so here they are, all those damn eater, drawn right to us like we was a lodestone. Now we're about to knock them off balance all over again. And hood, take me. It's got my blood up. Same for us all. So please, sir, sound us the order to march. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I like that. Yeah, I think that's good. I think it's a good way to tell us where the Marines headspace is. Yeah. And sort of justify their behaviors not only in this book but in following books and it's also like they they do take pride in themselves they're like Mm -hmm. we know what we're doing we can do this yeah we're like the best soldiers in the world (laughs) yeah i thought it was well as a characterization for tom tizzy too Mm -hmm. especially with his name tom tizzy like (laughs) it's not a very strong name here no Neither is Vastly Blank, <laughs> who lives up to his name. Oh my I god. Vastly Blank. Uh, I just have all the heavies are given the most demeaning names. <laughs> like Flashwit. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, go ahead. The fight scenes are very chaotic in this. They're very chaotic and very frantic. And this is like the most Vietnam it feels to me that Steve's gotten yeah. so far in these in these books which uh you know makes sense they dedicate this one to glenn cook now eh? 
Yes, like, that these, does these make guys a lot of could sense. be from the Black Company at this point. Yeah, it would not be surprising That's to me. Although Black point. Company isn't as funny. Ha ha ha. No. Well, I've only read the first book, so I can only. It's not as funny, though. Despite all the giggling in that book. <laughs> I mean, I, I love Goblet of One Eye. <laughs> yeah, they're the standouts uh, in terms of humor. Um. So. Quick Ben suspects that Tavor isn't playing it straight. So like his whole conversation with Hedge. Um, and I think it was like, yeah, he was like, she set herself against the crippled god. And Hedge is like, oh yeah, what's this What's this lesser empire got to do with the crippled god? It's like, oh, there's a whole lot of stuff to be said yeah. about that. So there's that. And then... Um, the whole conversation between Quick Ben and Hedge about like which side are they each on and like what game is Shadow Throne and Cotillion really playing? I'm like, you know, yes. What is all yeah. of this really leading to? And like, what is the whole point? What what are they those two, Kelvin and Dancer? Like, do they really know and, what they're doing? And how much did they foresee? How much have they accounted for in their plans? Yeah, or are they it's like so ambiguous? Yeah, like Hellion, who's just like, oh ha ha ha, I'm stumbling into things, and it just works out. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like because the answer cannot be that they are completely like Hellion. I think no, but it also seems unlikely to me that they foresaw everything. <laughs> and then right. the question is like, where on the sliding scale do they fall? And that's a really interesting question to think about, I think. Yeah, like, where do they fall against, you know, the errant and, like, male and bug? Like, mm-hmm. are they are they f- on the same side? How many sides are there to this whole thing? Yeah, and, and this is a big reason why characters in Malazan are so cryptic with each other a lot of the time. Because a lot of the time they aren't certain that the person that they're talking to is on the same side as them. Or doesn't want, they don't want to reveal information inadvertently for like all these reasons right um so it's it's like a lot of people have with the series that characters talk very obliquely with each other but i think in in a lot of cases it can be justified through this framing yeah i think you're right because like there are often times where you know the whole miscommunication trope is employed to purposefully make things like um more suspenseful or like have there to be more of a plot whereas like in this case it's not really a miscommunication trope it's more of like okay now i understand like sometimes your sides align but the Mm -hmm. ultimate goal might actually be different so it's just like alliances of of convenience at times so you're just only going to share enough for that whatever you know piece that aligns call back to when topper makes fun of Haran in the first book for sharing all of the, all of his information. <laughs> yeah, good callback. I mean, yeah, I'm like expecting the twelve souls or however many soul twelve in Quick Ben to break out at some point. <laughs> to break out. Oh man. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if they can. You don't know if they can. Oh, um, I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> uh-huh. So. Hedge is getting very frustrated with Quick Ben here, right? Yes. Yeah, it echoes, I think, a lot of... I think he's meant to echo a lot of the reader's frustrations with Quick Ben as well. Um, 
Uh, yeah, man, Quick Ben would be so infuriating to be friends with. <laughs> um, I did have a question. So the whole thing with Onrak and Troll, where like Onrak is, I, I'm not quite sure what is going on. Where like, um, Hastil Retor is asking Onrak if he would reject Troll, and Onrak's like, no, I can't. And then it's like a bad thing that Onrak can't reject, doesn't reject Troll. Do you remember in back in House of Chains when uh, Onrak finds Troll inside the right. nascent? Well, yeah. at that point, he basically pledges his servitude, yes. or it's the wrong word, towards Troll. So, like, he's kind of bound by his word at that point. He's been, right. In my mind, it's like kind of what has been driving him the entire time. So, it's not really an easy thing to give up but but why is that a bad thing so my interpretation here is that these new imas are kind of setting up to take over the tribe that red was with troll and onrak don't want this to happen troll basically says i'm gonna I, i i'm willing to die for this um because of my friend onrak and um so the reason why it would be a bad thing is because Onrak would be condemning his friend to death, essentially, if if this conflict actually came out came about. And so you could argue that it would be better for Onrak to refuse Troll here to say, no, go away, I'm, I'm going to protect you. I thought it was the this. opposite. I thought it was that Troll is condemning Onrak to death because... Onrek refuses to reject Troll, and I don't. It's confusing. It's it's like reciprocal. I think. Right. I I had the impression that uh, Onrak was trying to save Troll's life by doing this. Right. Yes, yeah. but then in as a result of that, something is happening with Troll, and um, it's like condemning. Sorry, something is happening with Onrak, and it's condemning Onrak to some bad outcome am i just misunderstanding this okay never mind i don't remember this part is confusing (laughs) (sighs) um also when erickson says through a character don't ask me how i know this that just prompts me (laughs) to ask how does this character know this information so like one thing and don't ask me how i know i just do Suspicion into certainty, um, the finesse of scabby blood eye, it's here. Like, Quick Ben knows that the finesse is there. Um, but it's like, how do you know that, Quick Ben? And just um, telling me not to ask doesn't. <laughs> it I, only prompts me to ask. I would think that he's reasoning this intuitively, but the clues that he has are like the fact of the existence of this illusory world as yeah. well as the fact that this dragon menandor well not dragon this godlike being menandor um left her son here right and i think he i think he knows that there's also starville demolane nearby um, yeah is that the 12 gates uh 12 gates he was like keeping vigil at the 12 there are gates uh, that leading to this place yeah Right, if they're connected to Tar- Starville Demolition. Yeah, um, so he he knows that there's something big here that this is important, um, and then 
what makes sense for there to be here would be the finest of scabby because that it, it could it could also power the illusion i think but wasn't didn't gothos have it yeah he definitely uh, had it yeah right. he had it uh, several hundred thousand years ago <laughs> okay okay gothos he he does a lot of he does a lot of weird things for seemingly unintuitive reasons hmm. it's just uh, it's just kind of his style good for chapter 22 Y'all talked a lot about chapter 21, and I had that many notes. <laughs> there was a lot that happened in chapter 21. It's, it's a really big chapter, yeah. Um, chapter 22 is also big. Chapter 22. The All Fall, with their Letheri opponents following the show shortly after. Beak burns out his candles. Some irresponsible candle use on the part of Beak. You didn't even mention uh, our man Tool? Tool? Uh, tool and Talk, yeah. No. <laughs> okay. They're unimportant, right? No, it's, no. It's, I, I think I think I think everyone who listens to the, this summary will will probably know that talk, talk dies in it. I, I, this probably goes without saying, but uh, this chapter made me very emotional, and uh, I cried uh, big manly tears twice. I just um, getting getting Beak's backstory, getting it, being able to meet his brother in the afterlife, and Hood meeting him, and uh, Tool thinking that Talk is already dead. Finding out he was still alive and still witnesses death again was uh, was hard. Yeah, and like he was right there. He was right there. Yeah. He could have saved him at any time. And Tool was doing this in large part because he thought Talk was dead. Right? Ugh. Yeah, I wanted to Ugh. kill the all the people that Talk was uh, helping out the entire time just because they killed his boy. Yep. But he changed his mind because of Tool uh, Talk as well. And he uh, saves the children. Instead of killing them, uh, Hayton's perspective there was really uh, was really something powerful. Talking about uh, just the the way that the Imas feel, and the the way mm. that they feel, and the way that they grieve, it's just wonderful descriptions. They have no ironic detachment. They just feel everything all the time, which makes their descent into the Zlanimas so much sadder. Right? You have the the, the contrast that sets sets up here versus what we saw previously in the books when they were just emotionless killing machines, essentially. Yep. Yeah. I wish, I wish Janeth was here. Cause, uh, we get a, a direct explanation for how we still have talks. Uh, right. Oh, yes. Or it just has them. I noted that. Yeah. I was like, Oh, talks poems. Yeah. <laughs> he was writing them all off screen. Yeah. Torrent was insufferable, but I mean, he, he did the right thing in the end, I suppose. Yeah. Well, how old is he? He's like 18. Yeah, he's just a young, stupid kid. Yeah, it's yeah. it's hard to blame, him, even though he's still annoying. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, he, I think that's how things seem to work. Like they get an inspiration from an older figure in life, and maybe they could turn it around. And they see a a real sign of selflessness. Yeah, Talk had no reason. Well, okay, besides basic human decency, he had no reason to sacrifice himself for these children, and he does it just without a second thought. It's not even a debate in his mind. It's just this is what you do. It's gonna suck, but you know. I was reading that part where Talk starts charging into the enemy. I was like, okay, I know he's going to die, but he's going to come back, right? Like, he came back before, and then it was like, nope, not this time. It's like, oh, okay. Talk is dead. And, and he still <laughs> doesn't get his second eye back. Yeah. <laughs> Damn wolves. He's cursed with that wisdom. Well, he's dead, but I mean... Spoilers, he stays dead. 
but he's working for Hood, so whatever yeah. that means. Dead, not gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, that that, I think that it's... part, though, sorry, the part with how, um, with, <laughs> because Erickson goes into quite a bit of detail describing how, like, from Toc's perspective as he's dying, and that's just, that makes it so much harder. Because, like, if you were just reading it as, like, an, a more objective person watching it happen, um, you know, and, and we've seen this before with when he's um, in the clutches of the matron, like, how he feels his bones are breaking. It's just, like, that's why we feel so much more impact with talk because we get it from directly from him. And then when, like, he feels the the pain under his jaw i'm just like oh my god no it's so brutal and so heartbreaking <sighs> um, um to pivot a bit to red mask so i think it's very telling how the last thing that red mask is thinking is how not not about how his people are getting slaughtered um or even that he's losing the battle he's just completely delusional he's thinking i'm gonna I'm gonna get my changeable bodyguards, victory. and we're gonna we're gonna kill them all. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Red Mask to me is he's he feels like an empty shell of a man uh, when reading him through these books. All he wants is to kill, and he he doesn't he didn't care at all who he had to kill to get his vengeance, whatever his vengeance even means here, right? Yeah, because. Um, it was revealed at the end that he's not—he's a Lothari. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he was kidnapped by the All as a kid. Yep. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think Red Mask could be described as just daddy issues. The character. <laughs> oh. Wait. Yeah, like uh, he he fell down a path of just hatred and vengeance, but like the mm-hmm. entire time he was just trying to prove himself as a true All, and I mean being adopted maybe not having a great dad pretending uh telling him how to live and how to be and all and knowing the whole time that he's treated differently for being lethary and he has to wear a mask to cover up that identity uh he tries and tries and tries to outlet out all all the all themselves i see he learns how to fight the all by the way that they used to fight and their old ways and he could lead them all just to prove himself that he he is one of the all even though he's not I guess, ethnically or racially, whatever that means and all, which is actually a common thing to happen in, Mm -hmm. especially in the uh, American expansion into uh, Indian territories. Uh, They would kidnap kids and vice versa. Um, And then they would become one of the group. uh, And often, like, uh, I've read a few accounts of which, and like a lot of the kids that were abducted would refuse to go back, or even adults sometimes when they were abducted with quotes or move into the native uh, way of life, they would not go back as well. They would just become nativized. What's the right word? Assimilated? Sure. I know. I, I think it's a very interesting story, and it works a lot really well with a lot of the uh, animal metaphors that we had earlier in the book of uh, infiltrating into another place and destroying it from the inside. Even though this time it wasn't exactly, uh, what's the word? Malic- malicious? Yeah. I mean, kidnapping kids is. <laughs> I meant on yeah, uh, but, Red, red Mask. The Red Mask. Uh, yeah. Uh, he, he wasn't trying to take down the all. He just did it. <laughs> he did it without 
I, like I don't, I don't think he cared about any of them really. It's like we we never get a thought from him that's actually compassionate I think he cared about anybody. their approval. I think he cared about his idea of their culture. Yeah, he I think he yeah, I, I agree he probably wanted approval and that's why he got so upset with when the elder was calling him out. Um cuz did the the elder knew the truth that he was Lothari? Yeah. yeah, he was like the last one left. Yeah. And yeah, so like uh, yeah, another reason why he was trying to kill so many Lothari is to wipe out that part of him. I see. Um, and um, yeah, he was judged unworthy by the Kachin Shamal, which I think is a very good call by them. Yeah, uh, these I have some these quotes after he killed the letter, uh, the elder. He says, um, "You are dead. I still feel your neck in my hands." Uh, he last the Renar elders. You you knew well my father and all his kin and the children they called their own. And also said uh, the weapons we were once born to long ago. Is that not all enough? Am I not more all than any other among the Renafar? I so, see. Yeah, I think I think it explains a lot of his uh, motivations. We also see this same theme with Cork, although of course Cork is not a vengeance-obsessed monster, <laughs> um, but he's a half-breed, and his mother was the seti side of him. She worked in a whorehouse, and she had completely abandoned their culture, and he decided that he was going to reclaim it for himself. So he, he went back. I, I, I think he, he, I think he rode back to rejoin the tribes or I'm not sure what, but yeah, like he, 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 he worked hard to become a SETI in his, in his, in his own eyes. Um, I think probably in more healthy way than Red Mask did. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, feel really bad for Brol Handar here. Uh, he, uh, he at least dies like a bro. Um, <laughs> he gets he gets, uh, he gets told that like this body this the uh, factor had tried to kill him ten times and this right. man that he had never noticed was protecting him this entire time uh, so he's like I'm gonna die with you then uh, yeah. and I'm gonna and I'm gonna fight on your left because I don't care about my uh, blind spot well it's also kind of it says something about Bivet that she. She actually tried to save him, mm-hmm. despite the orders that she was given by the factor. Yeah, the assassin killer was her man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of cool. A, she's a very decent person. I like. I think both Roll and Bavat are very decent people and very toxic system. Um. <laughs> Except when Brol was like getting addicted to killing. Oh yeah, and he's yeah he's saying I'm going to kill them all. Yeah. <laughs> He gets, yeah, he completely demonizes them and just kind of glories in the bloodlust, like the Malazans are doing, to be fair. Um, speaking of dehumanization, I really enjoyed Heaton's perspective, where she's looking at the, uh, she's a third party, she has no, no relationship with what's going on, right? And she says she can't even tell them apart. Yep. Just It's just these, these quarrels, they don't really mean anything, especially from looking on the outside in. And then we get um, the reason that the Grey Swords had pledged themselves to the All. They thought they were, they, they had received visions of uh, smoke and death. I think it was, I don't know, something like that uh, from the wolves. And they thought that this was the cause that they were supposed to pledge themselves to. Turns out that's not the case. Um, Whoops. Yep. So, like the wolves taking their hearts, was that going to be like. Um, yeah, y'all messed up, so we're just gonna reset you and, like, put 
put your hearts on new bodies. No, no. Okay. Uh, spoiler. <laughs> no. So yeah, they're they're dead. Um. Yeah, I think it was just a like a last act of honoring them in the wolves' own way. Religious thing. Yeah. Um. Um. But yes, yeah, so this also kind of foreshadows like a lot of these gods know that there's something going on in this section of the world. They're, they know that something is going to go on in this section of the world. Um, so forces like the Grey Swords are, uh, are arriving. Grey Swords and the Grey Helms. They, they really did not last very long in the series. No. They were literally no, they like introduced and then next thing you know, they're dead. Mm-hmm. Well, there's still more gray swords, right? There's the there's the gray helms. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, but the gray helms are uh, they're uh, they're more different than it might seem. I know I already mentioned Beak, but I quite enjoyed the the build up to his sacrifice, and it starts with him talking with a fiddler and a Faradun sort. Uh, I want to read what he says. So. Beak, can you hold your own in what's to come? A low, murmuring reply. Yes, sir, you'll see. Everyone will, because we're all friends, and friends are important. The most important thing in the world, and I'll show you. And then later, uh, we're on the uh, the Eater perspective, and they, they see the uh, large magic coming in a world, like a whirlwind or a, something like that. And they see Beak's candle, and they're allowed in. I like starting seeing uh, Beak's sacrifice from the eater's perspective to start with before we get beak's uh perspective himself yeah i really like all the perspectives around this um the lothari realizing that the rituals i, I think they re- realize the rituals gonna destroy them all at, yeah. at the very end yeah um and then the eater realizing that they've been betrayed and they're all gonna die despite how hard they fought for their new empire um and the un, very much unearned compassion that they receive from Fiddler and the Marines, uh, who subsequently tell them, like, like Fiddler tells them, like, there's a lot of people that really want to kill you right now um, because they've been killing each other for, like, weeks or months at this point. Um, I really like how they don't do that. <laughs> and I also like how we get that scene where Fiddler sees all the scars on his friends. Uh, and of course, uh, Cuddle was dropped on his head quite a bit as a child. <laughs> and uh, Korob had cancer. And yeah, Korob Cor- had cancer that he was too lucky to die from. <laughs> that was kind of um, a little out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, what really got me was uh, when Faridun Sort looked to where Beak was and all she saw was ash and bone and how it was like a little kid hugging his mm-hmm. knees. Yep. Yeah. So do you uh what? do you get the the beak love panda? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's um it is. I mean, I I saw some of the comments um on Discord about how like oh, it, how it's incredible that Erickson made us care for this character in so little time. But like it is little time, but it is throughout most of the this book, like this um Reaper's Gale book. But it's just, I think it's because of the innocence of Beak and, you know, as the kids say, protect at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, you get that feeling for this character and then how he 
describes how he sees the world is just so it's naive but very wholesome and innocent and loving um and the the fact that you know there was so much that he didn't understand and you as a as a person understand what he didn't understand yep yeah and he had all these mental blocks put in place um because he recognized that if he thought about what happened too much then he would probably kill himself like his brother did right yeah it's um it's very effective characterization and i think a large part of what what makes beak specifically work is that it's not overdone like steve isn't beating you over the head with it um right he does spend comparatively like he doesn't spend many words on beak um but like he he says he says things or he thinks things and then there's so much implied behind there um that yeah. makes him incredibly easy to empathize with. And yeah, you can really kind, see why he's so tragic. I kind of thought that he would have been revealed as a shield anvil for someone, um, just based on the way that he was talking. And uh, the whole purification talk. Um, but I guess not. So... Um, I don't think that Beak would be an appropriate choice for a shield anvil because a shield anvil has to be able to understand and take on the pain of others. And okay. and he doesn't have the understanding. He doesn't. I don't, I don't think he has the understanding. I don't think he was able to develop that. And he can't even really process his own pain. Um, he can't. He can't even think about it most of the time when he his thoughts shy away from them. The, the the, the traumatic events in his life all the time. He can't confront them. He can't process them. Got Yeah. i just very happy that he got a good afterlife so he could be the big brother. <laughs> yep. Hood, Hood's a good guy. Hood? I, okay, I, yes, I will say that Hood is a good guy. Um, I will not put any asterisk, asterisks there. I think he's just flat out good. Um, he just has kind of a shitty job. <laughs> Is Hood a guy, though? He's got balls. <laughs> Does Presumably. he? <laughs> do, you have any, uh, do you have any new Hood theories for us, Panda? <laughs> there are a lot um, of hints in this book. He has green skin. Or like, yeah, that's weird. It's very skeletal. Um, I mean, with the skeletal part is expected. But the green skin part... Wait, no. Lacine has blue skin. Yes. Okay. Who has green skin other than the um, cripple god dude? Wait, is it cripple god? Uh, crippled god. I actually don't know what color skin is. It's sickly. It's sickly yeah. colored. Sickly. <laughs> I kind of just imagine this amorphous, human-ish oh. looking, sickly white, vaguely hairy. <laughs> I guess I'm more thinking of the jade statues. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Maybe that has something to do with hood. Okay, okay. Oh, you guys. I'm really enjoying these hood theories. It's going to be sad when uh, you finally find out that hood was just made up. <laughs> hood is not made up. I mean, all these characters are made up. Okay, that's oh, true. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> <laughs> In the world of Wu and Malazan, Hood is not made up. I mean, if he's based on a real person, then uh, 
I gotta find out who that is. <laughs> I just hope that Hood in his realm has a very special place for all these horses. I'm just these poor <laughs> horses. Like, uh, Red Mask's Red Mask's horse escapes? Or is it um Red Mask's horse escapes? Horse. Yeah, there you go. See, that's that was three horses right there. <laughs> so. Tog's horse didn't No. Tog's horse did not escape. No. Should we do uh listener questions? Before we get there, talk the elder. Have I met this guy before? Like not by no. name, but like You never met him, they just spoke to him. Okay. Like, talk the okay. elder, talk the younger. So I haven't seen I have not seen this character yet. You have not seen him. And to just correctly set your expectations, um he shows up in the ice books, not this series. Correct. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just figured I should just not have you expecting okay. him to show up in like the final pages of the crippled god with like I'm here son. swords. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, fine. Is is it like um Knight of Knives or is it like much later? Uh it's Return of the Crimson, Return Garden. Of the Crimson Garden later. Oh, okay. And and earlier. But not Knight of Knives. Okay. Mm-hmm. Shall I read the questions then? Sure. Okay. Yeah, you might as well. Emperor Claptrap, how much impact do you think this scene would have if someone just... Oh, what's the scene? It's Beak. Okay, uh, the question about Beak. How much impact do you think this scene would have if someone just picked up and read this chapter, or maybe a few chapters preceding as well, without reading the previous books? Would Steve's background as a short story writer show up enough to make that understa- undertaking worth it? Ooh, Claptrap, that's a hard question. I have a very firm opinion on this. Yeah, um, I think it would be effective. I... There would be obvious points where the the reader wouldn't understand what's going on, right? Like they wouldn't have any of the context for Warrens or you know Candles. whatever else, or like the conflict. Um, but like if Steve just yeah took the sections that, that Beak was in and then like retooled them into a short story, I think that would be a good short story. He would need to make some right. changes, but I don't think he would need to make enormous changes. Right, we could test it. I could just cut out all the Beak sections, give it to my wife, and be like, "What do you think?" It's not very long. It's probably like what twenty pages at most. Less, I think. Yeah. At most covers that. Um, yeah, Steve, it's, he's so good at writing. <laughs> what do you think, Benda? I I agree. I think that a lot of it isn't necessarily like... I guess Beak's story is pretty self-contained. The only thing that's not self-contained is like who his friends are. But you could replace that with like any character. Yeah. It's really from yeah. his perspective because he sees them as friends. Yeah, it's really just probably Faradon Sword, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically. So Janeth has a question as well. It says, uh, he wants your opinion on Hellion's strategy and miscalculation to war made by targeting the Eater aristocracy rather than the Letheri capitalists. Yeah, we kind of talked about this um, in the episode. Yeah, I, think so too. I just think that um, because Tavor is such a distant character, like it's easier for me to get angry at Tavor. Um, especially there was this one part where um like it was from the the Letheri perspective where they were seeing like all the Malazan soldiers is like gathering in the killing field and you know from their perspective like oh the Malazans know that this is the end, like they can't win and they're just taking it. Um that got me so angry with Tavor, like you as a leader have failed your soldiers 
you know, like, but then you think about, okay, what is really going on in her head? And like, well, did she even know about Beak? Because I don't think she did. So in a way, like she got lucky, right? That there was a soldier there that could save, um, save them. And yeah, yeah. I think Hellion, even though I don't, I'm not like in love with this character. Um, I have to admit, like she did a much better job. Well, that's why we have troops on the ground, right? Yeah. 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 Tavor does give them a lot of leeway. She does. To showcase their exceptional nature. And she does know that they are exceptional, uh, which is credit to her. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like very easy to feel like she she's abandoned the Marines in this hostile situation, right? Right. Although she does, and, to be fair to her, she does show up like almost after. in the nick of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which like you know I get it. If if she, you know, her whole plan was like we will be there to give you backup, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's like you get so little of her anyway. Mm-hmm. You don't know yeah. what's going on. Mm-hmm. And she's not easy to like. She's she's got no charisma. No, and I'm like, I'm just really curious, like why Erickson has that kind of character. Like, what is the point of that character? What is he trying to do? I think we could have a good conversation about that in the crippled god. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think Tavor is very important for the point he's making with the series. Okay. I think I think without her, a lot of it would fall apart. And that's the thing is like as a first time reader, I'm just like, I don't get it. And it's it, it's going to take like ten books to get there. Yeah. Although let's be fair, six six. She showed up in House of Chains. Mm-hmm. Fine, six. Well, technically, she, well, she was, was there in book the first book. Yes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, she shows up, she says, Fellison is too soft for this world, and exits the page. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, so Tavor so far has gotten lucky twice um, with mages. Initially, she thought she didn't have any mages besides Nilla Nether, um, but she's gotten lucky with Sin, and she's gotten lucky with Beak. Um, you could, I guess you could sort of make the argument, I wouldn't find it very convincing, that these are like deus ex machinas. Yeah. But... Um, I don't know. What do you think about the emergence of these superpowered individuals from seemingly nowhere, Panda? It does bother me a bit because, and that's why I'm just like having such a hard time with Devor because I'm like, and I guess in a way, frustration with Erickson because of how he's revealing and writing the story. Like, on the one hand, you know, it is really cool to have these characters, and if you're going to have these characters, they might as well. I, I don't know how else you would write them necessarily. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, they're just very convenient. Especially with Beak, where it's like, especially with Beak. it seemed like this was literally his purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Sin was introduced a bit earlier. And right. it, her, it was more of an evolved process. Yeah. Whereas this one was like, okay. Yeah, he's just, yeah, just... he's just been here the entire time. There's, yeah. um, there's one other character who sort of fits into this that's sort of hanging around, but it doesn't it doesn't function like Beak does in the narrative. Like Bottle? No. Name. 
No, not <laughs> bottle. Okay. Um, we can yeah we can have the we can continue this conversation later though. Um, yeah, bottle bottle sort of fits. We I think I think it's revealed that he's like from like the the last of one of the last of the original inhabitants of Malaz Island. Mm-hmm. And he's got some funky things going on there, but uh, yeah, you get in here though. Great, because I want to go. That concludes this episode. If you want to join the read-along and or contribute listener questions, check us out on the Legendarium's Discord. If You can you can find the link on thelegendarium.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at Green Team Pod for updates and fun times. Check out the Legendarium podcast for Wheel of Time, Cosplay, Lord of the Rings content, and so much more. Thank you to our panelists, Ashman, Janeth is a boy who's not here, and Buffalo Panda. I'm here in fan. Until next time. See you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.